available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and together we make the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. Give you a little curveball there, Dave. I just went different from what you're doing. Instead of mocking you, instead of... Blindly following you like Pied Piper, like I just uh, wanted to go something different because I'm excited because we got some spring football updates today. Yeah, oh, yeah. Do we have media like uh, negotiation, media rights deals updates? Not really. No, not much going on. But what's going on in spring football? We all care about that. No more basketball. That's over. That Olympic sports done. Now we get to talk some more football, which we all love to do. At least I do. And we're gonna do that today. We are coming at you live on our YouTube channel. We are very close to 1,000 uh, YouTube subscribers, so we need to get you in there. Smashing that like button. Smash the subscribe. Get get that subscribe going in there. Put the little bell so you get a notification uh, when we are going live, but it's the Podcast of Champions feed over on YouTube. We appreciate that, but we're also across the uh, podcasting platform Across the universe. Yeah. Wherever you can get a podcast, you can get the Podcast of Champions, the one True, only source for Pac-12 football on the audio webs. Out Your there. words right now are flowing out like endless rain inside a paper cup. I love <laughs> endless rain inside a paper cup. Mm-hmm. Nice, I love that. Uh, we got the comments going. If you're following us along live on YouTube, and uh, who was it? Someone was there early. That was a uh, Kings fan. Was like, hey man, there's three people like waiting 15 minutes before the show goes. That's what we love. We love that dedication. So thanks for doing that. I did broadcast. I told everyone it's going to be going on yesterday. So at least people had a little heads up. Our Thursday morning live show is back. Uh, I was like, Dave, do we want to do a show this week? He's like, hell yeah, let's do it. So we're doing it. We Ryan didn't it. want to, full disclosure. I'm the one that got like spring football updates from like across yeah, the Yeah, but North. before that, before yeah. that, you were like, we don't have to do a show this week. Yeah, that's true. And it's like nine, th- you know, 9.15 in the morning. Nine seventeen. Nine seventeen. Guys like Ernesto. Truth in advertising. What? First of all, great avatar. He's got the Ghostbusters avatar. Ernesto says this is much better than working. Hell yeah, it is, Ernesto. Much yeah. better than working. Uh, I mean, so we're working, you. aren't we? Sort of. We're, we're working. Yeah. Technically, we don't get paid for this. Alex but. has a question. If if I've played the game Civilization. Oh, let me see. Where's Alex? Um, here, I'll put that up there. So, great question, Alex. Um, I have played many of the Civilization games. Uh, uh, one that I wa- that I played as a youth was Civiliz- Civilization II Call to Power, uh, which was a, I want to say an offshoot game. Um, it was very bad in retrospect. You had things like triremes, uh, which are um, old school rowing ships going against um, like modern battleships. Oh. Um if things were developing at different rates, which was interesting and weird. Um, The modern civilization games I've played, I've dabbled. I'll say I've dabbled. 
Um, but once you have older kids, it's kind of difficult. Um, now, what I'll say is okay. I've gotten much more aggressive with the uh, nerdy uh, history games. Um, I've explored the Paradox Games um, uh, school, which is uh, Europa Universalis, where you can play literally any country in the history of the world starting in, like, 1450. Oh. And I've dabbled in that sucker, and that one is insane. So if you want to play an insane insanely complicated insanely in-depth uh civilization type game go, go check out that sucker so wait so you don't have time to go to vegas for like pac-12 well so most to... of this was most <laughs> of this was early childhood when okay. you've got like a baby sitting there just kind of sleeping but yeah. not really sleeping and you're just like you know you're awake in the zombie hours and you're like i don't know what i'm gonna do with my time well mm. i'll go find something stupid to do on my computer gotcha yeah all right. Well, uh, we wanted you to be able to interact with the show. So if you want to email us, you can do that. Pac12podcast at gmail.com. You can also call or text us at 424-532-0678. Uh, our serial caller, uh, Perk, has won a voicemail today. Uh, you can also tweet us at Pac12podcast. And the website is Pac12podcast.com. And you can go over Reddit. We're over there. And, of course, on the Apple Podcasting app. If you want to follow, follow the uh, Podcast of Champions, and leave us a five-star review. We would very much appreciate that. Do we have any new ones, David? No, not oh. a one. Not a one. You all are useless. We've been getting new ones every week, so this, I'm kind of surprised. That we Trash listeners. Maybe because San Diego State's out now. Maybe it's just like we've, we're getting like a lower subset of listeners these days. Yeah. We need to start high-classing this show again. Wait, more Shanes around? Yes. Yeah, where's Shane? Where's Shane been? Yeah, man. I guess it's hard to be that funny, so you can't just... Uh... He's too busy building Lego stadiums. Mm, that's true. Uh, we, had, we had some Lego, sort of Lego news. I was told, so I have that old uh, yellow castle, and uh, someone that does a Lego, we, we had some info from a guy that does like a Lego podcast, and he said that's like, that could be your retirement. It's worth a lot of money. So I'm like, oh, I bet. Okay. I bet. I, that was like my favorite toy growing yeah. up. And and R.I.P. Hithliday, absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. where the, where's Hithliday been? I think he's um... he last sent us an email sometime in 2021. I think he's done with us. Is that really that long ago? Yeah, I think. I mean, he toyed with us for a long time with like trying to get us to talk about actual football, and then I think he eventually realized we're just never going to do it. Yeah, and then moved on. Nice. Which, I, frankly, I respect. Mm. Unending respect. True. Uh, okay. Uh, we did mention, I just mentioned like San Diego State. So future Pac-12 member, San Diego State, which how could you say no now? I think Wilner wrote a good story about you, you'd really have to mess this up if the presidents decide not to like in, in, uh, invite San Diego State, which kind of means they're probably not going to get invited. But yes, they make it to the finals. Uh, they get blown out by UConn. I think that's the only thing I predicted well in the uh, March Madness that I had UConn going to the finals. But They uh, cut it to like five. Or six. It was like six points. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, we could watch this. I was, we were at, I was at sushi like, yeah. watching on the TV. And it was like, nope, don't need to pay attention. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But is there any way <laughs> that the president say, no, we don't want San Diego State in there? I, I have a hard time seeing them saying no. But yeah. the, I mean, I don't know. Is the Big 12 going to try to poach San Diego State too? I mean, I think that's a good point, right? Like, that would be... I mean, Big 12's gone kind of coast to coast, and they've shown less um, concern with uh, who and when and where. Uh, I think getting an inroad to California would be attractive to them. Um, San Diego State, 
aligns with the Pac-12, but I don't know how poorly it aligns with the Big 12 either. Like, I mean, I think, you know, if, if there's one region of uh, California that kind of fits a little bit more in the Big 12, it's probably San Diego and, um, you know, kind of culturally. So I don't know. Might make sense. I mean, if you're if you're Brett Yormark, I mean, they've tried to get over on George Klyovkov and, and the Pac-12. That's the that would be like basically the best option available for yeah. the Pac-12. If you're the Big 12 and you steal that best option away, I mean, that's like, I mean, that's pretty big. And I don't know if that would. Uh, I guess it depends on the presidents for the the, the mountain schools and the and the desert schools. I mean, how is this any different from going out and grabbing like South Florida for the Big Twelve? Yeah, right? I mean, like, I think it's the same basic deal. And this team was just in the, you know, they're San Diego State's more attractive by making it to, you know, I know basketball is not a big deal, but it's basketball is very good in the Big Twelve. Um, you just added a team that was, you know, uh, twenty minutes away from a, or whatever a national championship. Well, that's if, pretty good. If you were if you were identifying an ethos for what Big Twelve is doing expansion wise, it's looking for quality programs not necessarily the media markets but they're looking for okay how do we make this the best quality football and and basketball we can without poaching sec and big 10 teams yeah um because that's basically the overriding thing that they've been getting i mean byu south florida cincinnati yeah they took Uh, the best available group of five schools right? yeah Yeah. so i and i think san diego state is in that next tier um in both sports, like Boise State has it in football, obviously, but San Diego State, you're getting top 20, top 25 level pretty consistently football and basketball. Yeah. That's uh, pretty crazy. They, I, I think we did the stat like a week or two ago. San Diego State, I think since 2010, has the highest combined winning percentage for football and basketball. Um, so the, I think they, like, this is something that I think it would be a huge miss for the Pac-12 because they're going to go somewhere. Like, and it's probably going to, you know, if the Pac-12 doesn't take them, like maybe San Diego State prefers the Pac-12. You want to be on the West Coast and all that. But if the Pac-12 is dragging its feet and not every president is on board, I mean, I could see the Big 12 swooping in. And that would be, that'd just be an unnecessary, you know, self-damage, I guess, for the Pac-12, which we've seen the Conference of Champions do that before. Um, Yeah. And I don't have an issue, like, they could come in by themselves, you know, if SMU doesn't work right away. I, I just think this makes it even more of a no-brainer. Um, but we don't know. I mean, they're, they're still – still haven't heard anything on the uh, media rights deal. Uh, Dennis Dodd uh, did a story uh, this past week about that um, essentially the, the people that he talked to that had run, you know, definitely they're in the uh, television market, you know, business for all this. Uh, I forget the, who they interviewed, but he he was basically saying that he didn't see a way that the Pac-12 could get the kind of a, a similar revenue number, which I think a lot of people think the Pac-12 can get something similar to what the Big 12 is getting in the high 20s, low 30s, wherever, something like that. But they couldn't figure out a way that it would work where the majority of the content was on linear networks. So it would be at least 50% streaming and that could be an issue for some campuses with the the amount of exposure and stuff the big 12 i believe the number was a little over 70 percent on you know linear networks so they'll have some espn plus and things like that but the pac-12 could have a lot on apple uh, and or amazon um so that's an interesting you know report where it's just like hey when this when this comes out and the number might be pretty good 
but a lot of it's going to be on streaming. So the Big Twelve will have something to sick to crow about. Oh, we're better because we're you know we can be seen more or whatever. But I don't I don't know if you feel like that's that big of an issue. But I kind of you know some of the reports you're like I don't know if I buy this. But my guess is when this comes out, it's going to be more streaming than any of the other conferences right now. Yeah, I mean I I think. Um... With all the reporting, everyone should remember who the writers are um, and how often they are writing from a certain angle. Um, not because, and I'm I'm not impugning the integrity of any of the writers, but I think it informs you as a as a uh, learned uh, consumer of news who's saying what. Dennis Dodd has been consistently hammering a pro Big Twelve drum. Um, from the beginning, like Big Twelve acquiring. Uh, the Arizonas, Colorado, and Utah. So things that he is writing about the media deal and its potential, just understand where his sourcing might be coming from. Now, he might be the arbiter of truth on this, and that ends up being where it is, or he might be you know, hearing stuff from people who have a, a little bit of an ax to grind for getting some of these schools to the Big 12, right? So keep that in mind with any kind of reporting about the media deal from that angle. Yeah. Um, that being said... Does that one pass your smell test? Kind of. It kind of does. Yeah. yeah. Um, and my thing on it is I I don't – I, I kind of buy the thing where if it's streaming, it's still going to be way better than the Pac-12 Network's distribution. And the Pac-12 Network uh, didn't really have a great streaming option because you still had to be subscribed to the Pac-12 Network through either your cable provider who – unless you had Comcast or – Cox or something, you weren't getting it, uh, or Time Warner, Spectrum, um, or you had to have Sling or, I don't know, YouTube TV, something else. Um, so anything that's Amazon or Apple or whatever is going to naturally have better distribution because anybody can get it Yeah. Um, without too much encumbrance. You know, I think Sling was what? To get both uh, Pac-12 things, didn't you have to have, didn't you have to pay out like 40 bucks? Yeah, I think so. Something like that. So anyway, um, I don't have a problem with it from that angle, but I think you're still going to run into a lot of uh, particularly old heads who are just going to say, no, 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 there's no way we're going to do that where that many games are streaming only. So, yeah, I, I can see it being really unattractive and that being a deal breaker for some of the schools. That could be part of the delay. Um, you're trying to convince everybody because we've heard, I mean, we've heard from Pac-12 presidents that were saying hey, it's going to happen in a couple of weeks, you know, the middle of March or whatever, and it's still not happening. I, there's no real deadline anymore. Like the, the big deal was the big 12 jumping ahead of the PAC 12. And that sort of set the bar, a different bar. The, the bar had been what the big 10 was getting, which is this huge number. And then the big 12 comes in and takes what some perceived as less, but they locked up uh, some of the, you know, the rights from Fox and, and ESPN. And, you know, it sort of left the, the, the PAC 12 in a bad spot. So there's no real hurry. I mean, you got like 15 months or whatever, but I mean, fans are antsy and the longer you go, I mean, who knows if the, the you know, four corner schools are getting antsy as well and they want to take a look at what the Big 12 is putting out there and maybe it gives the Big 12 time to put better offers out. I don't know. It's, you know, we'll, we'll have to see, but that, I don't know if anyone knows. I don't think anybody knows when this is going to be resolved and we keep talking about it, but it just, there's really not much going on. Um, well, there might be a lot going on, but we have, you know, we're we're staring at the surface and there's an iceberg underneath. Yeah. So who knows? Um, but you know the thing about icebergs? 
they sink the ship. They do. They really do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think whenever this one comes, it's I, I, I'm. Where's Wilner on his? Uh, how many how many half points have been shaved off the uh, line at this I point? Because it was like a month ago when it was minus six and a half. I think now for Pac-12 survival or something. And I think he said every two weeks that it doesn't happen. It's. Oh yeah, so he said that, but I haven't seen what the, I don't think he's up. I think our update's got to be at like four and a half points by now. I would guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is not. This is a t- much tighter game. Yes, yes. Pac-12 survival, and you know, people ask us like, "What are you guys going to do for the podcast of champions?" Like, well, hell, we don't know, and we got to find out what's going on with all this too. It's like if the Pac-12 sitting pretty and they got this awesome media deal, and everyone loves it. You're like, oh yeah, we got to keep this going. I think we just go lifestyle podcast. No more football. Lifestyle. Yeah. Okay. Everyone can talk about like you can you know sell like beach body workouts on your end. Um, <laughs> I can start pyramid schemes over here. It can be fun. Yeah, uh, that'd be good. I mean, there, we could do like talking about streaming. Like, I can't believe how many like shows that look like quality shows are in there. Like, I don't have HBO. Then my friend logs in on my TV to HBO. I'm like, wow, look at all this shit. Uh, Apple TV. I don't have that. And then my friend logs into my thing, and I'm like. Holy cow, there's a lot of really good... I mean, I, there's no way you could keep up with all the good shows. Like, I think you just have to pick a I couple... I started watching Severance this week. I've heard good things about that. So, yeah, and I am I think I'm I'm literally a year late, um, but... Yeah, the, like, new episodes are coming out now, but... It, yeah, but just to give you a little insight into my life, uh, I started watching the first episode three nights ago, and I finished it last night. It's an hour long. Um, <laughs> so you're not going to be... So... Uh, you're not binging this. I'm... I'm I'm trying. I mean, that's a binge for me. Um, and it uh, it's very good. It's very good. If you haven't watched it, uh, I can say, based on an episode in five minutes, uh, it's it's quite good. Um, and I finally watched the last five minutes of Last of Us, which I was... Um, you were, like, saving? No. I, I literally couldn't continue that episode about two or three times because it was so dreadful and boring yeah. and terrible. But I finally finished it, and okay. it finished, you know, dreadful and terrible and boring. Um, I started watching, um, what's it called, Shrinkage? Okay. That was pretty good. Oh, that's I've, great. I've seen a few episodes. Harrison Ford's in it. Um, yeah. Oh, Alex has a question. Have you been watching? You don't watch Succession because you don't have HBO. I, I think I, well, I can now. Okay. You should watch Succession. Okay. It's really good. Uh, I've, I've actually caught I've, I'm actually caught up on that one. I've watched the first two episodes, though not not watching them Sunday nights, of course. Um, okay, it's really really good. Some of the some of the best writing. Wait, in. that's the one you were talking about, right? No. What was the other one? You were Severance. Talking? Severance. Oh my god. Severance is a show with uh, Adam Scott and John Turturro. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Um, Succession's the, the, premise- the one where like the the. The, the billionaire guy that's like his kids are fighting yeah, over yeah. his fortune. It's okay. Brian Cox is uh, the the billionaire tycoon. It's very Shakespeare, very like high Shakespearean. Okay, um, it's very good. Uh, but the um, severance is basically the premise is that you've got your work life uh-huh. and you've got your home life. Okay. And what if you severed your memories of each when you were at the other? Oh, but the implications of that are your home life's great, or maybe. Uh, but you can just pay attention to everything at home and like, you know, your free time. But those work life people that you are like, they literally leave work and then they show up back at work and they have no memory of the intervening moment. So your life is just literally being in your office. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So it's like you have two, it's like a separate person. Yeah. yeah, But I mean, it's it's you, but your, your brain is bifurcated basically. Oh, 
Yeah. Interesting. Wait, so is that the is that new or that's the second season for that too? It's the first season, but it's I think literally a year, year and a half old. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking about secession. I'm sorry. Like I, I that that's it. what this show should be, actually. It should just be me and you talking about shows that are between one and two years old that we are watching for the first time. <laughs> I think people would really tune in. So if the Pac Twelve dies, that's what we'll yeah, do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I was listening there's so I just found this out. Like there's other shows that try to talk about Pac Twelve stuff. Hmm. Which I didn't know this. And there's one that's called No Truck Stops. I don't know what the reference is. I'm oh, not sure what that is. Interesting. Never uh, listened. But they were talking about you. On Weird. The show. Yes. Weird. Uh, there's a thing. Uh, what is it called? The um, the Men of Westwood. Huh. Which is a the collective. Of I don't know how collectives work, but apparently there's a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's some barbs being thrown over at the bro and the Tracys and the, the David I, I wouldn't Woods. know. I've never listened. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, wow, do we have like a feud going on? Hard, hard, hard to say, hard to say, hard to know. Uh, yeah, but I don't know. We're, we're going into weird territory with all this collective stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. USC has been a kind of a collective mess, but we're seeing who's (laughs) emerging. Do you like that? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a collective mess of collectives. Yes. Yes. Uh, they're trying. Uh, it sounds like Men of Westwood has some good backing there. Um, yeah, yeah. Basically, you need like some super rich donor to like care. You know, you need a Phil Knight. You got to have some juice. Yeah, you got to have somebody who's uh, down to get into it. Um, and you can get people to be the more of the collective. But if you don't have like the the whale, like I think you need a whale. I don't think USC has like a whale that I know of. Right well, you now. need to have a whale. You you need to have people who are connected to the programs because it's it's one thing to have a collective, but you got to have that collective targeting the guys who you know who you want the money to go to. Yeah. Right. Um. So there's got to be a strategic element where it's you know kind of you know there's some there's some element where things are connected. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, you need the money. Yeah. Got to have the money. Money needs to be there. Uh, any any thoughts? Uh, you know, or like I mean, not I don't know the critique. Okay, it's hard to hard to speak to it when I don't know the critique exactly. Mm. Um, men, uh, what would you say it was the the men no of, no truck stops podcast? No, okay, it's not airport. Yeah, it's no truck stops. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I like to fly. I'm not a driver. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't like truck stops. No. Oh, um, well, the the critique uh, that. Um, I don't know. There's many elements to it. First, are collective Zicky? Absolutely. Absolutely. Would there be a better method of doing this where uh, the schools are paying the players? For sure. Yes. And uh, I think everyone's hope is that it gets to that point. Anyone claiming, however, that collectives are in any way um, uh, non-preferred as a donation avenue than donating to the athletic fund for the university is uh, not speaking from a place of equity. Because uh, the (laughs) even if a collective... So even if you say this collective is non-transparent, this collective, you don't know the names of the people, this is bad. There's no supervisory capacity. This is bad. Okay. If any of the money is finding its way into the hands of players, then it's preferred to giving to the athletic fund of the university. Because the athletic fund of the university, you know where that money goes? goes to coach buyouts. It goes to building funds. It goes to academic support. But you know where it doesn't go? The players. Into the hands of the players. 
Um, but so you need like new fountains and stuff in the athletic oh, buildings. You're you're spe- preaching to the choir. You yes. need those. You need those Xboxes in every locker room. Right. You need those flat screen TVs in every single locker. Why not? Um, but that's uh, it's it's dumb. I mean, every it, it, so first speaking specifically about the men of Westwood. Um, I've put my name and reputation behind the idea that it's 100% going to the players. Do you have a reputation? Who knows? Um, <laughs> but here's the thing: I've I've committed to that idea. Like, okay. so if it isn't true, you can blame me. That's that's part of the thing with backing things with your I reputation like and word. Stuff. Yeah. Um, two, um, even if you didn't believe me, even if you thought I was lying, even if you thought I was full of shit. Mm. Uh, there's proof in the pudding that some of that money is going to the players. They are still endorsing the men of Westwood. They are at these events sponsored by the men of Westwood. So they are getting some money from the men of Westwood. That is preferred. Even if you thought it was 10 cents on the dollar, mm. it's still preferred. It's still preferred as an so avenue for your you money. Get, you personally get 90% of the money going to win. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, no. I'm, I'm, I'm bathing in wealth. You can tell. Um, <laughs> But even if 10, 10 cents on the dollar were going to the players, yeah. that is still preferred to giving to an athletic fund for a university. Mm. So, um, I don't know. Does that address all of the uh, all of the theoretical critiques I think, from this so-called podcast? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's good. No, I wanted to like you know let you speak on. I don't want your name besmirched out there. Um, but yeah, any, uh, we've got some comments about it and stuff too. But Matthew says, so this is about our show, like the new podcast of Champions. Call your show Tape Delay, and the intro th- uh, theme tune is just you two explaining that there used to be this thing called tape. You didn't need, uh, you didn't use it to stick stuff together. They just, people still use it, like, hey, you're on air or tape. Like we're not broadcasting over the air. <laughs> we're not recording with tape but sorry there was another term there is another critique that i did not address okay the one about journalistic ethics so this is one that i think is actually a useful topic i discussed it on the broadcast last week but just to kind of put it in a nutshell first um this journalistic ethic idea that journalists are impartial is horseshit it's absolute bullshit and anyone Anyone with a brain who is uh, invoking that as some sort of um, uh, totem is uh, being disingenuous or they haven't thought about it. But every single person with how they approach life has bias, right? Ryan has bias. I have bias. The most important thing you can do if you are in a position of trust, if a position of reputation, position of all that kind of stuff, is, uh, is to be honest, that does not mean that you are impartial. It means you're honest, honest about your biases. I have biases when I approach the way I cover UCLA, when I approach anything with my job. Uh, but primarily with UCLA, I have two main things. One, I went to the school. And all things considered, personally, I would like the programs to do well. Two, uh, financially, I would like the programs to do well. It's better for bro. Yeah. We get subscribers. So that's the main thing with subscriptions is they're driven mostly by team success. Um, recruiting success to an extent, but mostly team success. If the t- program does really well, uh, subscriptions grow. So uh, that informs uh, my view of things, but it doesn't inform necessarily uh, the the way I would approach coverage. It doesn't behoove me 
to be a blind, like, oh, yeah, everything's going great, because everyone out there who's following the team also knows how to analyze things and says things are not going great. This person is lying to me. I'm not going to subscribe. Right. Um, so it's why I cover things like Chip Kelly's program and say, yeah, it's it's really shaky and it's kind of dog shit sometimes. <laughs> um, and why I cover McCronin's program and I say, hey, things are going pretty well because, importantly, Ryan, they're going pretty things well. are going pretty well. Yeah. Um, when Steve Alford was there, things were not going pretty well and you didn't see me cheerleading for Steve Alford. This is called intellectual honesty. Basic thing about the job. Basic thing. It's not something you got to be clapped on the back for, but it's just an important thing. And it's something that I have, you know, kind of workshopped. It is the most important thing is not being unbiased. It's being honest about your biases. Then people can evaluate whether or not to trust you. Um, with something like the Men of Westwood, that is coherent with Men of Westwood. It's not going to affect my ability to be honest about the programs because it isn't supporting the programs. It's supporting the players. Yeah. Um, and so with Men of Westwood, is uh, promoting that consistent with what I just told you, which is that I would generally like the programs to do well? Yes. But you'll notice I still don't think Chip Kelly's program is doing that great. I still think while there were some successes the last couple of years uh, – He's probably not the right guy to lead them into the Big Ten. I'm able to say that even while supporting the men of Westwood. Yeah. There's your coherence. <laughs> no, it makes sense. I, sometimes you're a little overly biased, like your bias against Rick Neuheisel and things like that. Yeah, I know. I, I know. And that's, and that's, you know, that's just me being a personal hater. Yeah. But like, so someone, and, and I think there was a lot of talk about like 24 7 sports, and I don't like the term. Uh, fan site and I but I believe that there are some sites out there that are more fan site like I at least when I try to run usafootball.com that is certainly not uh, my goal my well we don't love the term yeah I, I mean I think there's it's for fans but it's not it's I, not a cheerleading site yeah and that's the thing where I think it gets kind of twisted is because the thing is I think the vast majority of publishers of sites aside from the ones that were assigned by 247 sports are alumni of the school the, now, the early, or, yeah, like the early, what you know, Tracy started this early. I started it early. That's what people were running these sites. Right. Um, and it, you're probably more on the um, uh, trying to present the traditional journalistic, um, uh, what would be the word, uh, status. Like you're, you're, you're trying to embody that a little bit more. So you are not actually as upfront with, you know, well, I am biased and like that sort of transparent part. And I think to your uh, credit, I think you do present more or less just kind of a, you know, balls and strikes. Here it is right down the middle. As a, I do a lot more analysis as part of my job. And so if I'm doing a ton of analysis stuff, I need to be transparent about my biases. Yeah. Like it absolutely needs to be a part of it. Um, and so, and I think every opinion writer, I mean, pretending like you can be an opinion writer or an analyst and not um, acknowledge your biases is crazy. Um, that's the most dishonest thing you can do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, to, to your point, I mean, it is, it's it's not an SB Nation site. None of these things are. It's not like rah, rah, here's, you know, hey, you got to su support the coach and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think we both probably... Uh, fall more on the uh, cynical and skeptical side pretty much with every new hire and new coach at either of the institutions we cover. Yeah. And like when I started it, I mean, I and I 
try to be honest about that too. There's going to be bias for sure. Like Dave said, like I want uscfootball.com to do well. I've got staff that I'm, you know, it's my livelihood, the staff that have been working for me for years and years. And it does go along with how well USC is doing, you know, and, but it's not always positive. Like sometimes recruiting's better when the team kind of, you know, falters a little bit and you need to like boost it up. Or, I mean, the, the biggest money-making event that any of us can cover is a coaching search. And that usually doesn't happen when things are going well, unless a guy leaves or something. But um, most of the time it's you fire your coach and that rallies everybody. And for us, like, you know, you could say that you'd be biased against the head coach because you'd rather see him fired because then you can make a bunch more money. And, and yeah, if we're being fully transparent, um, that is like, I, I don't think it wouldn't be completely out of the question that like when things are going badly for a coach, we might be at the forefront of, yeah, yeah, no, call it a day, call it a day. Um, and handing out the pitchforks and the, well, I mean, you know. uh, like for two reasons, one, yeah, it's better for our business. <laughs> like, but it's the reason it's better for our business. Isn't so much just the coaching search, though the coaching search itself does drive subscriptions. It's hope, hope sells. Yes. And if, if something is moribund, like if it is dead in the water, like, and UCLA has a lot of experience I mean, Clay with, for like seven, eight absolutely years. dead in the water coaching tenures, uh, that doesn't sell at all. And it's it's unenjoyable, too. I mean, if you look at our traffic on our message boards at the end of a coaching tenure, it is, whew, it's dicey. Um, but it, the thing is, and this is the kind of, uh, it's, a, it's an absurd claim, but the more I workshop it, the more it makes sense. The, the people who are maybe most invested in the success of the athletic programs from a, like, pure dollars and cents perspective, athletic director is getting his money no matter what. Coaches are getting their money no matter what. But you know who isn't? The site publishers for 247 Sports. <laughs> we are not getting our money no matter what. We need those programs to do well. So as like an arbiter of like what is – not necessarily what is best for the programs, but who is maybe the most invested in what is best for the programs and who is maybe most invested in the success of those programs, I mean, unfortunately for USC, it's Ryan Abraham. And for UCLA, it is Tracy Pearson. <laughs> and it's funny, like – People, I, the one criticism, um, and I always try to be upfront with people and I'm trying to be objective. I, if I think they're going to win the national championship, I'll tell you, if I think they're going to go four and eight, I'll tell you, I'm not, I'm not trying to like, you know, get clicks or whatever and like say something controversial. I'm just really going to tell you what I think. Like I go to practice, right. I watch or like, Hey, you know, I, I kind of believe what they're saying that the defense is going to get better. A lot of people say fire Alex Grinch. And I'm like, I don't know, talking to players and coaches, they seem pretty optimistic. So if they, I'll say, I think the defense is going to be better this year. And if it's not, then I'm like, yeah, I was wrong. You know, I'm not saying it because I'm trying to like pump things up, but I feel like you get this, um, perception out there that people, well, people say this, that, well, you're only, you're not being critical because you're going to lose access. And it's like, I can't tell you how many times I've been in somebody's office at USC getting yelled at or whatever. Yeah. People, they don't like what we say all the freaking time, but I'm going to keep saying it. You know, it, it could be things going swimmingly and you say something great. We've had players that would block us and are like, I don't ever say anything anything negative about that player. They just don't want to be talked in about. In the middle of the Jim Mora era when things were going extremely well, uh, two different stories. One, uh, Jim Mora uh, called um, the head of scout to complain about us. And we were, f <laughs> we were like basically friends with Jim Mora. Uh, and two, uh, Demetrius Martin, after I wrote a unit-by-unit -unit analysis where I like lightly critiqued his DBs, 
He screams at me from across the field in the middle of practice. Uh, something about, yeah, you think that's us or do you think that's maybe the pass rush not getting home um, wow. from across the field? Uh, it's, it's uh, yeah. I mean, if we were interested in like just, I don't know. The thing is, access journalism only goes as far as you need it to. And if you're a salaried guy, maybe it goes far enough. But if you're not, if you are tied, again, to the goodwill and faith of thousands of subscribers who, again, they're not dumb. You're not dumb, subscribers. Yeah. We love you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they're not dumb. They they can uh, they can they can you know assess the wind. They they understand the way things are blowing. Uh, if you're looking at them and saying, "Yeah, it's it's you know this this pee on your face is actually rain. It's okay." Um, <laughs> then uh, they're not going to trust you, and they're not going to continue to subscribe. Um, and that's just the, the nature of it. You yeah. have to you have to you have to have some honesty. Yeah. Um, and not everyone wants it too. Like people get mad, like, Hey, I don't like you're being critical and they'll get mad at you. And that's okay. Like if you want, there's going to be sites that are just going to say everything's great all the time. I just don't like to do it that way. I know David doesn't like to do it that way. And even go to like a player prospect page, look at what it says. Like be, it says who's they're being recruited by. It lists an assistant coach next to that name. Do you think we've got calls about, Hey, I'm really the head guy call, you know, like, you could say things that some coaches are like and other coaches won't. You, if, if we were worried about, oh, I can't say anything like this because we're never going to get access again, you would never say anything because you could say the most glowing thing and someone's going to get mad at you. you. You know, it's just, you know, we'd say, oh, this is a five-star recruit that's going to USC and, and some coach is mad because you listed the other assistant coach first instead of him. And, you know, it's, it, yeah, there's there's no keeping everyone happy. Um, yeah. Anyway, this is boring. That was a lot of stuff. No one's enjoying this. Sorry. You know what you can enjoy? Uh, we got to do some... Uh, it's not really... Well, I guess it could be a... Uh, Pac-12 Roundup. Pac-12 Roundup. Um, we got some updates. I, I think I reached out to everyone. If I didn't, I apologize. But I tried to reach out to all the uh, Pac-12 sites. I'm just going to go through sort of in the order uh, that I got. Um, uh, our buddy Eric Cartman actually left a voicemail, so... Arizona State Sun Devils. (laughs) I will play this from him. Chris Cartman out here with Sun Devil Sports covering Arizona State State football. We've seen a lot uh, of the team doing hands first year installing teams, uh, maybe getting about two hours every day, uh, 10 practices in. Uh, Looks like the offense has actually uh, got quite impressive skill players. Uh, Everybody knows about Elijah Badger, Jalen Conyers. Uh, the team added Xavier Dillery from Idaho State, who looks great at wide receiver. Mel Kwan Soval looks like a solid addition. Um, slot from Colorado State, and we have Geo Sanders. That's running backs that uh, should allow them to be pretty good there. And quarterback play between Trenton Borgay and Drew Pine seems like a pretty legitimate battle with Jamie Rashada, a talented freshman, uh, stepping in. If they can keep the quarterback upright, they have a chance for uh, quite a few points this year. And Brian Ward's defense is going to be very aggressive. They have some edge players that can rush the passer, E.J. Green, uh, Clayton Smith, a transfer from Oklahoma, Aaron Stansbury, and then defensive backfield is kind of uh, where their strength is. Uh, Roe Torrance, uh, Ed Woods coming back, Isaiah Johnson, the third guy at corner who's got a lot of potential. 
they have uh, Chris Edmonds, a returning starting safety, and two newcomers, uh, including Davion Alford, transferred from USC, uh, has looked at along with Shamar and Simmons. So uh, a lot of new faces, but I think ASU has a legitimate chance to exceed expectations this year. Uh, good stuff from uh, Chris. I picked up most of that. It was a little hard to understand. It was a little muffled, so I apologize for the audio there. Um, it's it's one of those programs. There's excitement for Kenny Dillingham. Yeah, there's a lot of new faces. Uh, should be a lot of fun. And I I think Chris Carman's very good at. I like to ask him, hey, what do you think the season's going to be like? And there was a remember remember a few seasons ago where everyone thought Arizona State was going to be down. And it was like uh, Jaden Daniels, and he was just like, hey, they, they got some good receivers. Um, they're going to actually be pretty good on offense. And I was like, all right. So I, I kind of adjusted my season projections, and, and he was dead on. So um, I, I like what uh, I, I like what Cartman does because he kind of gives you a real thing. And you could see he's excited about the way this is going. And, you know, for him too, like getting a new coach, getting some – New blood in there. Like, Herm Edwards wasn't helping him. Um, and I don't think he was overly critical or overly positive about it, but you, you could just kind of tell. I'm reading from him. There's just more excitement, Dave, about ASU, which is a good thing. Yeah, no, and uh, Cartman does a great job. And uh, you know, not to continue to just absolutely shove our own heads up our own assholes, <laughs> but uh, he does exactly what I'm saying, which is he calls calls it like it is. And so when things were going badly with Herm Edwards, it was things are going really badly with Herm Edwards and this should be over, um, you know, uh, critical when you need to be critical and positive when things are positive. And I think if you've seen just like even just like scrolling Twitter and I see like things that he retweets of just like the videos from practice, you can just tell the energy, like the the amount of fun in that program, like and I, I know ASU fans are going to hate this, but like it, it looks a lot like the stuff we were seeing from Jed Fish in that first offseason. Um, and I won't say like Jed Fish is like a roaring success at Arizona. Um, obviously, they still haven't, you know, kind of broken through. But a same sort of, yeah, same sort of energy and excitement. I think it's going to pay off in recruiting. I think it's going to pay off in a lot of different ways. But also, just it should be fun, and guys should feel like it's fun. And it seems like the players on the team are feeling like it's fun yeah um so i think there's a lot of good there and i think you know uh, an honest reporter calls it calls it good when it looks like it's good and calls it bad when it looks like it's bad and cartman definitely passes that test yeah all right uh let's go to we've got washington state cougars or do you want to here we'll do the growl washington state cougars wow that sounds kind of cool uh so we got uh, Jamie, who does a good job covering uh, Washington State up there, a Coug fan. Uh, so he said, spring ball for Washington State is in its eighth day, and the defense is definitely ahead of the offense, as expected. Washington State has a lot to replace defensively, but seems to have found some suitable replacements in uh, Devin Richardson at linebacker, and Cam Lampkin, and uh, Javon Robinson at corner. So he says, obviously, the line is further along than it was at this time last year. The receiver play is also far superior. And Cam Ward looks more comfortable with this group than the last group. Uh, ben Artbuckle's creativity has played a role as well. Artbuckle's, not Artbuckle. Um, so 
little bit of some, some optimism there. I, I think we were a little down on Cam Ward in year one. Uh, it sounds like maybe they wasn't super comfortable with the receivers and he's going to be a little more comfortable with this group. But any, any thoughts on Washington State, Dave? I mean, I, I hope Cam Ward works out. Um, I, I'm i pretty skeptical after that first season. Um, okay. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess you can blame receivers if you want to. Um, offensive line is probably a little bit more of an issue, but um, took a lot of bad sacks. Um, yeah. Check down master. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure if at this level he's going to be a, 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 a high quality starter. Yeah. We'll see. He's got a he's got a year under his belt playing at this level, so we'll see if uh, year two turns out better. But count me skeptical. Okay, let's go to our friends on our favorite teams out there. Obviously, Oregon State Beavers. Because of Angie, of course. Uh, Angie Machado, she's the publisher and owner of BruinBlitz.com. Uh, she wrote me and said, Oregon State kicked off spring camp in early March, where they held six practices before breaking for finals and spring break. They returned to the practice field uh, on Thursday today, where most of the actual playbook will be installed. During the first two weeks, all eyes were on newcomer quarterbacks as Clemson's transferred DJ Ungalele and uh, Prep uh, Aiden Childs, which I've heard some good things about him, both arrived on campus. Both showed extremely strong arm strength and the ability to make all the throws that OSU quarterbacks uh, and offensive co- OSU offensive coordinator Brian Lindgren is looking for in a quarterback incumbent. Ben Golbranson uh, started the session as QB1, but it started splitting first-team reps with uh, DJ, who's expected to earn the starting spot uh, by the time fall camp rolls around. Uh, yeah, for Childs, I think it's going to be tough because he's a true freshman, but I've heard some good things about him. Anyway, she says, uh, defensively, the Beavers are looking to replace two starting inside linebackers and three starting defensive backs. Um, safety, uh, Katan Oladapo, I think that's it. Is it Oladapo? Oladapo, I believe, is the lone returner in the Beavers secondary, but is surrounded by younger players who have seen substantial action in uh, Jaden Robinson and Skylar Thomas. Inside linebacker is a bit more up in the air. As the Beavers look to replace Armar Spates, uh, he's transferred to LSU. Uh, Kyrie Fisher, he graduated, and Jack Costello also graduated. Uh, Easton uh, Mascarenas is locked into the starting spot, but will John Miller or Makai Tung uh, win the spot on the opposite side? So that's from Angie. Angie's great. Um, yeah, I mean, I, Sorry. DJ winning the starting spot seems like it's a foregone conclusion, and then Childs is set up to take over for him once he's done, which I think he's already played three years, DJ? Is it three or two? I think it's three. I think it was three. He came, He was uh, Bryce Young class. Yeah, so he has at most two more years because um, he can take the uh, COVID year. Um, but, yeah, at most two more years. So, Childs will be there to take over, potentially, if he doesn't decide to transfer out. Um, so, I think that's a good situation. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of defensive losses. We'll see if they can kind of um, rebuild from that and rebound. But, um, I mean, I, at this point, can you really doubt our man John Smith's program? No, man. Without a quarterback, they still just run the football yeah, over dude. through you. Yeah, dude. So, if you had a quarterback, who knows? <laughs> But it sounds like there's some better options, at least. Yeah, um, for sure. And we'll DJ. Yeah, two better than uh, Ben Colbranson, who did, you know, yeoman's work last year, but he'll be third string at best this year. Let's go to NorCal. Uh, start with California Golden Bears. <laughs> so our buddy Jackson Moore, uh, 
you know, he covers Fresno State, but also Cal and Stanford. So he gave us some updates for both programs. He says Cal has overhauled its offensive personnel and revamped its scheme. Why would you do that? They were just going so well uh, on offense. I'm just kidding, of course. Uh, it has been a total 180 from former quarterback Jack Plummer and offensive coordinator Bill Musgrave to new quarterback Sam Jackson and offensive coordinator Jake Spivital. Jackson is a dynamic athlete and brings a fast running element, but has also been turnover prone in spring camp on the defensive side of the ball. It's business as usual. For head coach Justin Wilcox and defensive coordinator Peter Sermon, the Golden Bears have added four transfers and a JC addition on defense this spring who are all either stepping into first-team roles or competing for them. The Golden Bears just returned from spring break on Wednesday for the second half of fall camp. Obviously, the offense got to get better, right? Because, like, <laughs> it was poo-poo. I, I don't want to talk too much about Cal because if I do, I'll never stop. But that whole program needs to get a whole lot better. Athletics, like the entire thing. What's your faith in Justin Wilcox being able to do that? No, no, nah, dude. He's no. he's had such bad instincts with his coordinator hires. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's got it. I don't know if he's got the juice. Um, and it might be. I don't want to like throw out, <laughs> not to not to sound like a uh, Justin Wilcox cheerleader, but I don't want to throw out Wilcox as a head coach because I'm beginning to think that Cal situation is particularly horrible. Yeah. Um. But I don't think he's going to get it done there. I don't know if he has it. Um, I think if you're going to get it done at a place with no resources that doesn't have um, any interest or anything like that, you you need to be like a crazy innovator. Like there's exciting. Just, and there's like no a- other way to do it. You've got to like have a game change in offense or something. And he's just a he's a standard defensive guy. I'm going to run my defense, and it's going to be a good scheme, and we're going to play solid, sound football. And yeah, yeah, you're going to lose like eight games a year, buddy. Yeah, that's. I think it, I think that's a good point. That the way the situation is, like he could have been if he was the Indiana head coach or something. Yeah, it might be fine. But I don't know if that's going to work at Cal. Like, do you need like a Kenny Dillingham or a, you need to a have Jed Fish or somebody? You, you like, got to have somebody who is like going to pull everything up by their bootstraps um, by himself, and that's not that's not Justin Wilcox. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he might've been fine hired at Washington or fine hired at Oregon or whatever, but I just don't think he's going to get it done there. All right. Let's uh, go over across the Bay. Maybe. Stanford Cardinal. This is very Stanford. The first It's still so good that it, um, that it falls yes. like that. The tree falls. That's Stanford football. Very, it, it, the first line is very Stanford. Stanford had two closed spring practices in early March for a recruiting weekend. <laughs> yeah, that, that was like a month ago. They just started up camp for real on Monday as the new academic quarter begins. It's a new coaching staff from top to bottom, and the focus is on picking up uh, the pace from the David Shaw era to an up-tempo Troy Taylor style. Roster numbers are low. Very Stanford again. And the first team is hard to recognize. Nearly all of the Cardinals' 2022 starting wide receivers, offensive linemen, Linebackers and defensive backs have gone pro, transferred out as graduate or have gone pro or transferred out at pro, I'm sorry, or transferred out as graduates. Plus uh, star quarterback Tanner McKee, too. Uh, junior Ari Patu and sophomore Ashton Daniels are splitting first team quarterback reps. So super positive there. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's gone. 
but we're running fast. Everyone's gone. We're running fast. We've got like 32 scholarship players. <laughs> Let's party. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, I, but like again, like Troy Taylor, I think is going to bring some excitement. Um, but holy cow, like it's just a lot of work. And yeah, they're going to go like one and eleven this year. They probably will. Uh, I think we've seen like so you get like a Lincoln Riley comes into USC. They were four and eight. He generates obvious excitement. He's got pedigree. And you can turn things around quick by just getting a whole bunch of people to transfer in the program. And that's not like Stanford's MO. Like to Stanford's going to be a turn. Like if it's a turnaround, it's going to be like a multi-year kind of thing unless they change the way they're like being, bringing, being able to bring people in. Uh, I just modern college football, like you could turn things around faster, but you have to kind of do things that are a little bit different than what people have done before. And it seems like Cal and Stanford are two teams are just kind of not doing things that different from what they've done before. Yeah, I mean, if you look at what uh, Harbaugh did at Stanford that time, um, and uh, do you think Troy Taylor is going to do this? Because Harbaugh got them immediately to four and eight, and I think that was literally on the heels of Walt Harris going one and eleven, hmm. and then five and seven, then eight and five. So, and that eight and five Stanford team, if you remember, that was that was a pretty good damn team. They yeah. just lost some games, um, and then the big leap up in year four. I mean, and that's probably the perfect turnaround for Stanford, and it t- still took the better part of two years for them to be good. But the thing is, they were immediately, like, not horrible, suddenly. Um, is Troy Taylor going to do that? Mm, no. Is he going to get them to not horrible this year? Because I no. think they're going to be terrible. Yeah. I, I'm i going to say, I haven't, like, dove in enough, but my instincts say terrible. Yeah. I don't like hearing like numbers are down in spring ball because it's not like Stanford's a program that can just reload. No. Um, so, yeah, dicey. Dicey times. Dicey. Uh, we got a couple more. Um, Washington, our buddy Chris Fetters over there, a dog man. He says, coming off their best season in six years, Washington's spring football campaign has been met with more anticipation than most, especially with a legitimate Heisman candidate and Michael Penix Jr. It's interesting because – Phoenix. Uh, there's a lot of uh, returning quarterbacks. Some of the when if and I know Dave never gets excited for spring football, but usually the excitement is about like quarterback battles. And we've heard you know Arizona State or Oregon State things like that. But many of the Pac-12 teams have you know their guys coming back, so that sort of takes some of the excitement away for spring. Even though David thinks there's none anyway. Um, but you know. Michael Penix Jr. coming back is a big part of that. Phoenix. He says the biggest piece, the biggest piece of free camp news was that the Washington coaches decided to split up their practices around spring break. So they had three practices before the break and then came back at the end of March to do the final 12. So far through seven practices, there have been a relatively equal split in terms of who has gotten the upper hand, but the media did get a chance to see some, quote, live scrimmaging. Uh, and it was during these periods where the offense showed up and flexed their muscles. Uh, on the portal news, the new Huskies are uh, running back Daniel Nagata from Arizona State, uh, running back uh, Dylan Johnson from Mississippi State, tight end uh, Josh Cuivas uh, from Cal Poly, uh, and edge rusher Zach Dufree from Sioux Falls, linebacker Raylan Goforth from USC, and uh, cornerback Jabbar Muhammad from Oklahoma State. They've also added 10 high school and junior college players that have taken part in spring. The roster looks a bit different than what it did when Washington played Texas in the Alamo Bowl. No injuries of note. The only player that seemed to get seriously hurt at the time was edge rusher Maurice uh, Himes. 
It happened during the first practice of spring, but he's already come back. It was practicing this week. There are other players that are keeping out of uh, team sessions just to monitor them and keep their load lighter uh, or are wearing yellow non-contact jerseys, including uh, d- uh, defensive lineman Thule, and I don't even know how to say this, Latu Gasanova, uh, Fatu Tualete, uh, Voy, there's so many Polynesian names, Tunafui, and uh, DB Devon Banks. Your biggest mistake, your biggest error, was, was not forwarding some of these to me to read. Oh, yeah, because I'll just read them all. Yeah. By the end, you get a little tired. Yeah. Especially when all of the Polynesian players at the very end of your second to last one. Look, you got Phoenix. You got everything you need. Oh, my God. I didn't do Washington Huskies. <laughs> Sorry, Washington fans. You got Phoenix. You got everything you need. Yes. Yep. Uh, I mean, you won 11 games. Mm-hmm. You lose some guys, but replace, you know, upgrade the roster. Like, in general, I think the roster is upgraded from last year. You have a superstar quarterback. You have a really good coaching staff. You have good offensive scheme. I think things are going to be better. Yeah. So uh, many great pieces surrounding Phoenix. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love it. We do. We got one more. Well, then we can do USC and UCLA. But first, if that's a word. Arizona Wildcats. There we go. Uh, our buddy Jason Shear over at Wildcat Authority. Uh, Arizona spring football comes to an end with its spring game on April 15th, and there's been a lot of positives. It's one of the few spring camps where there's clearly been more good than bad. The offense looks like it's not missing a beat from last season, despite losing Dorian Singer to USC. And that's because Kevin Green has stepped into the slot nicely, and Jacob Cowing has been moved to the outside. The rest of the offense is pretty much back from last season. Season Jordan Morgan is out with a torn ACL, so the offensive line has been moved around a bit in order to find the right combination. Should Morgan not be able to go for the season opener, it's still somewhat of a work in progress, but it hasn't looked bad at all. Def- defensively, uh, there is a clear speed and athleticism upgrade. Justin Flo has come in and has been one of Arizona's best defenders. Washington transfer linebacker Daniel uh, Himalayu uh, has been solid as well. Cornerback Ephenasis Prysock looks to like a pro. And Ephesians, Prysock, and Daniel Hamuli. Yeah, that maybe that's known? right. Okay. Sure. Ephesians? Is that right? Ephesians. Ephesians. Aren't you a Bible guy? Uh, I mean, I was an altar boy back in the day, but that was a long time ago. And a junior, junior cornerback, uh, Charles Yates Jr., looks t- like he's going to start. Defensive line has a lot of rotation right now. Arizona has retooled. Uh, and there's talent, but the coaching staff is still looking for somebody to step up and be that dominant type of player. Yeah, I mean, that sounds all positive. Um, offensive line, obviously, maybe a little bit of a worry if Jordan Morgan's... He said it was an ACL? Uh, it was ACL, yeah. Man, that's going to be tough to come from back last from. season. That's going to be tough to come back yeah. from. Um, but if he's ready for the game, uh, for uh, opener, that'd be awesome. Um, Jacob Cowing to the outside is interesting. Yeah. Always struck me as kind of a traditional slot, so putting him outside, you know, he had high production there. But yeah, will he be able to uh, generate big plays downfield the way Dorian Singer was? We'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, the rest of that. I mean, I, I'm I'm excited to see Justin Flo to see how he can do in uh, a new setting. You know, he he had some injury issues up at Oregon. He didn't light the world on fire there. But. Yeah, but um, 
you know, maybe at Arizona, he kind of finds his groove again and is uh, back to being, a, you know, a five-star talent, which is what he was out of high school. So reasons for optimism in Arizona. Yeah, uh, 100%. All right, well, why don't we do this one? UCLA Bruins. <laughs> so UCLA is on to – it's actually – in its second practice right now um, at UCLA, uh, Mike Regalado on the scene, not me. Um, but I watched uh, practice one. Um, big headline item is Dante Moore is on campus. There's the quarterback competition, which is going to be, a you know, as Ryan was saying, it's the one thing that can make spring ball kind of fun. So UCLA is going to have a pretty fun spring ball. Um, there, there are a lot of contenders. Ethan Garbers is the returning guy. He was the backup for Dorian Thompson Robinson the last couple of years. Uh, then there's uh, Dante Moore, the true freshman five-star. Uh, then there's Kent State transfer quarterback Colin Schley. Got to look at all of them. Uh, my general sense of the situation, uh, probably non-controversial, but I think Dante Moore would have to do something to lose the job. Okay, like I think he would have to look bad to not win the job. Um, would be my general sense of the situation, knowing many factors involved. Um, and he doesn't. He looks he looks really good. Uh, ball placement for a freshman quarterback in that first practice. I mean, again, caveats. It's one practice, one thing. But like throwing like just these beautiful balls downfield, fitting them in between defenders. Uh, but not in like a, I'm throwing darts all over the field, but I don't really know where it's going. It was like these like kind of moonshots downfield, but perfectly placed into the hands of a running receiver. Um, not thrown behind, not thrown ahead, just perfectly placed. Um, that kind of accuracy from a freshman is pretty rare. Um, that's one of the big ones. Running back competition, too. Uh, there's uh, Carson Steele uh, coming in from Ball State. He's probably the favorite to win the starting running back job. But TJ Harden's, in a, uh, he played quite a bit last year, looked pretty good as a freshman. Uh, he could also contend for the starting job. Um, Anthony Adkins is an army transfer. He's huge. He's like six, probably six, two, six, three, and like 245 pounds. Nice little change of pace. Uh, so there's going to be a few options there. Um, the receiving core is probably on offense, the most impressive part of the team, uh, getting J Mike Sturdivant from Cal and then Kyle Ford from USC, uh, added to the group they already have. It's probably top to bottom, just, eyeballing it maybe the most talented receiving core i can remember at ucla um in the 15 years i've been paying enough attention to analyze a full receiving core a uh, lot of talent a lot of talent um and i know you were probably impressed with this for the many years he was at usc but i like kyle a lot, those yeah. those guns on kyle ford he's a yeah he, damn man he looks the part he's got some pythons um he had a couple of big games i mean he had a big game against ucla i think right yeah, 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 no, and I, I think he's gonna, you know, it's a, it's a change of scenery for him. I think he'd, yeah, the, he had a lot of, I mean, he had injuries galore at USC, Multiple just knee. a lot of yeah. tough times. I think having a nice little change of scenery where he can play in a different offense and in a different setting. I mean, I think he's gonna have a nice, nice year. If they didn't have such a deep receiving core, he would have probably had a huge year. But it was well, sort of the like... interesting thing is he's walking into a pretty deep receiving core too. It's not what USC was last year, but there's a lot of bodies. Like he, he might have trouble getting into the starting lineup, um, but he's going to play a lot. Um, yeah. And I think he's going to be a, an asset. And then defensively it's same issue. I mean, you just don't know what you're going to get until you see the defense on the field. Cause once again, it's going to be a new coordinator, Danton Lynn, and he's very new. I mean, he's a guy who hasn't been a coordinator before, hasn't called plays, um, which 
you know, that's not necessarily a deal breaker, but um, it does make it so you don't really know what you're going to get until you see the product on the field in an actual competitive game. Um, Talent-wise, we weren't super impressed with the linebackers last year. Uh, we'll see what they get. It wasn't really a ton of new talent there. It's going to be mostly the guys they rolled with last year. So that's where it's scheme-dependent, right? Where if the scheme improves a lot, you can see players suddenly look a lot better. But if the scheme's no better, you're going to have the same warts. Um, yeah. Defensive tackle depth will be an issue. And uh, the secondary, they lost both starting safeties from last year. And uh, cornerback was a, kind of an eyesore. So... Defense could still very much be a weakness, very much a work in progress, uh, putting it lightly. Um, and a lot will depend on whether Lynn can be a uh, um, an asset at coordinator. All right. Uh, that's our UCLA update. Thank you for that one, David Woods. It was nice to not have to read one for a second. And then <laughs> I'll do the last one. USC Trojans. Uh, yeah, so they're back. Um, they had... Uh, three practices, then they took a spring break, and they're about, I think they're about 11 in now. They have one later today, and then three next week. Uh, they haven't done a ton of the, like, they're going to supposed to do a live scrimmage this Saturday, and then uh, their spring game will be April 15th, and that's open to fans and stuff, so people can go check it out at the Coliseum. We are getting very limited window, so I don't get to watch uh, a lot of the position battle stuff. We can watch like some stretching and individual periods, and that's about it. Uh, but just the general feel is that guys do look bigger, stronger. You know, like it looks like a more, you know, complete team. I think Lincoln Riley, one of his biggest take takeaways was that there's a smaller gap between the perceived starters and who would be coming in off the bench, that there was more of a drop off. And, you know, basically later in the year when they did have some guys hurt, there just wasn't the the depth and bodies to replace those guys. They've added a bunch more players for the transfer portal, um, you know, some within the conference and, and from across the country. So they think that things are going to get better. Coaching staff's exactly the same. So guys like Alex Grinch and, and they're and they're back uh, coaching the defense. But there's a lot more optimism. Like I mentioned before, there was up. There's just seems to be more optimism. When we talked to Lincoln Riley, he was like, "Hey, man, we were working through stuff last year. There was just like a million problems. Like you're coming in and it's like, why is there no nutrition or where's?" there's not enough offices for my guys. He said, I you had so many things to fix. You, you know, you couldn't really focus on the whole team. He was focusing more on the offense. Now he's going to try to focus on uh, all the aspects of it, but they did add a bunch of defensive players that the defensive line has to get better. Um, but uh, you know, Keon bars from Arizona, people like him. Uh, they like him a lot. So we'll see, you know, he's been looking good apparently uh, so far. And Anthony Lucas is a former five-star part of that, the, the the best recruiting class ever for Texas A&M. He's an Arizona guy, so he's back on the West Coast. So there are a couple names uh, that they like. They had a dude, uh, Jamil Muhammad, from uh, Georgia State. You're like, what? But he's been like an edge rusher that I think has been doing uh, really well. I like Christian Roland Wallace. We haven't seen much of him. He got banged up early, but he's the Arizona uh, transfer uh, at cornerback. And then Dorian Singer, who had Jason Shear had mentioned, um, I expect him to be, you know, one of the better guys on USC's uh, receiver core, but they got a lot of depth. They love uh, Zachariah Branch, the five-star receiver from Bishop Gorman High School. He just, everyone's been talking and raving about him. You know, Caleb Williams back, obviously, so you got that there. And they got five-star Malachi Nelson uh, coming in as well, who is a little bit banged up coming in uh, with his off-throwing shoulder, but he's he's doing some 
some reps there. So, but I think overall, just there's a lot of uh, of optimism. Um, you know, so they're optimistic about having a I don't know top seventy five defense this year. <laughs> it could be better. They like Mason Cobb too. Uh, the the Oklahoma State middle linebacker transfer in. So they bring a bunch of dudes. They should be better. Um, if they're not, like I'm saying, they're going to be better on defense, and they were in like the hundreds, right? So if you're like a top fifty defense, you're probably not losing those last two games uh, that they did. Last if they're year. a top fifty defense, they're going to be a college football playoff team. Um, can they get there? Right. That's can they question. get there? Because they're a, they're a long ways off from top fifty. Um, I think getting there without a coordinator change is that's tough. I, yeah, that's yeah. tough to do. They're making a bunch of you know player improvements. You're right. Like, and how much of it was scheme? And I we'll find out because you know Lincoln Riley doubled down on keeping every you know bringing everyone yep. back. Part of it was just like. Hey man, we were all new, and it's just like now everyone's got a year in the system. Things are gonna get better. So if you believe them, then and you know I I kind of do, and, and things will be better. We'll see. Um, uh, yeah, I think that was about it. Was there someone else that I wanted to? Oh, the depth that I like the depth that running back they got. Austin Jones is coming back. That Stanford transfer. They bring in uh, Marshawn Lloyd from um, South Carolina, and they got uh, you know. They're pretty thin at tight end right now, but they just uh, got Deuce Robinson to sign. So um, the five-star tight end from Arizona. Now, he might still go play baseball, but he could probably be like a Drake London type for them sort of going forward. Right. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, that's our – so we don't have updates from Oregon. Uh, I think I reached out, and they didn't hear back. Usually here for – so Colorado and Utah as well. Wow. That maybe go along with your reporting, Right. That uh, they're going to be leaving. So yeah, why, no, why would they yeah, get the no, podcast of Champions? Adam, Adam's like, no, sorry, I can't, I can't, I can't divulge anything to uh, you know non-league members. <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> going to the Big Twelve. To be fair, like all this, I reached out yesterday, so it wasn't like I gave everyone a lot of heads up. But thank you to everyone that could respond, and I totally understand uh, that they weren't able to respond that quickly. I know there's a lot of stuff going on. There's still a lot of excitement about Colorado. They sold out their spring game. My buddy. Yeah, from college, uh, Sean, who I saw this past weekend, we graduated together. He has two kids at Colorado, and he waited a little too long. He's going out there for the spring game, and they sold out. He couldn't even get a ticket. So there's he's, some, he's going to go secondary market for a, for a, for a, for his ticket to the spring it's game. Crazy. <laughs> so yeah, they, like that's a true story. So um, there's obviously some excitement there with Coach Prime. Uh, and that's the only spring game that's going to be on ESPN. I don't know what it is. I got to look to see. I think they just started recently, though. There's a great picture uh, on uh, Colorado's site of uh, Coach Prime's like awesome gray white beard. I got to find it again. Check it out. It's really good. Nice. Um, but anyway. All right. Well, that's all I got. Anything else from you? No, I got nothing. I'm juiced. Okay. Let's uh, take a quick break. We'll come back and do a few. We just have a few questions. We'll do that. Back in a minute.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you could probably do the questions since I had to do all those previews. Sure. Where are we starting? I think we're John in Oakland, the uh, public and private college athletic department financial date, I all think. Right. This is from uh, John Oakland. Might be just John Oakland. That's his name. Actual public and private college athletic department financial date. Hi, Ryan and David. I don't know if you were aware that there's detailed current financial data on the athletic departments of both public and private colleges available on the U.S. Department of Education's Equity and Athletics website. There's a lot of data for each school broken down by teams and coaching staffs, revenue generated, and expenses. Not just high-level examples like... USC's data for reporting year July 1st, 2021 to June 30th, 2022, total athletic department expenses $187,650,353. UCLA's for the same time period $131,106,913. San Diego's for the same year is $67,245,917. Uh, this database consists of athletic data that are submitted annually as required by the Equity and Athletics Disclosure Act via a web-based data collection by all coeducational post-secondary institutions that receive Title IV funding, i.e. those that participate in federal student aid programs and that have an intercollegiate athletics program. You can even generate reports that compare data between schools. It's worth you exploring when pondering the future of college sports and paying players. How many schools generate the revenue to do this, even if it's just football and basketball? Regards, John in Oakland. Very useful stuff. Um, if you want to check it out, it is ope.ed.gov slash athletics slash pound sign. Um, I'm pulling it up right now. Let's see. For like looking at Oregon. Is there a total somewhere? Total revenue by team. Man, this is like there's a lot. It's not like Yeah, just no, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a fun website to explore. No, but it was if it, you're if you're into it, go to it. Yeah. Uh you can go check that out. So um yeah, I like tried to pull up organs to see if they're whatever that that number was. Um yeah, I can't really tell. Operating expenses, total expenses. Uh, grand total expenses, they had 121 million. So is that is that the number he was using? Total expenses? For uh, who? for USC and UCLA when they had the 187. USC's was 187. Yeah, UCLA's was 131. Total, total athletic department expenses for July 1st, 2021 to June 30th, 2022. Okay. Uh, yeah, this was, oh, maybe, I don't know. That's what the, whatever. But that's, yeah, that's interesting to kind of see because even sometimes you don't get the private school numbers right so i mean i think i'll tell you what uh kind of anybody would tell you which is um first can't compare um mid-major to high majors because san diego state um 
once they are in, if they are in the Pac-12 uh, budget, there will be increases in spending because um, they'll have to. Uh, but also, um, money in an athletic department goes to a lot of stupid stuff. Kind of going to the initial thing about how much of the money goes to the players, zero. Uh, it goes to a lot of stupid stuff instead. Um, it goes to massively ballooning coaching salaries. Um it goes to facility upgrades that don't need to happen. Um, it goes to a lot of stupid stuff. Uh, if they were legally forced to pay players, um, maybe it wouldn't work out for some of these schools. Maybe it would, but you you can find the money if you're willing to actually um, uh, take money away from the stupid things you're spending on. <laughs> yeah. We got a voicemail. I'll play this one. And I think the last email we got is the Frank and Sacramento one, Title yeah. Nine. But let me play this for you guys first. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Perk. Um, I'd say this question is probably geared towards the um, podcast of champion spring football enthusiast David Woods. Uh, I was curious to get your guys' take on some of the developments that are coming out out of UAB and out of the state of Alabama and kind of the rumors or desire from different fan bases to have UAB in Alabama or have UAB in Auburn actually play each other in a spring game as opposed to just a, you know, inter-squad scrimmage. I was wondering what your guys' thoughts are on um, something like that happening moving forward where, you know, let's say UCLA and San Diego State do a spring game. I know there's some scrimmages that go on like that um, in the preseason for basketball, and so I want to know if you guys thought that that can easily translate with football or if there's some major risk that people are overlooking. Thanks guys. I mean, the, 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 the primary risk whenever you're adding extra football games is injury. Um, and I think with the way a lot of programs manage spring football now, and even preseason camp, uh, there's like very, very limited tackling, if any, um, because the last thing you want coming out of any of these things is an injury adding a competitive game or even a semi-competitive game where there's full tackling um, in that environment, I think most coaches would kind of balk at the idea uh, because they're coaches are pretty risk averse um, yeah. as a, as a general rule um, from a fan standpoint, it's much more interesting, but I will say this, I, this is maybe a personal thing, but I don't get excited about scrimmages either. Like the preseason scrimmage for basketball I mean, even the, so, there's the secret scrimmage that all programs do, and then there's the actual like exhibitions. I can barely sit through those things; like they're they're boring as hell. Um, and so, I don't I don't know if there's that much draw. I mean, certainly more draw than a regular spring game where you're just playing an inter squad scrimmage. Um, but I don't know if it's significantly enough more to make it worth it for a lot of these programs to do it. Yeah, I. I kind of like the idea back when we could cover the off season workouts more like the summer workouts, they used to do some like seven on seven stuff with like USC would play like some guys from El Camino college. And so it was a more competitive thing. Now there's no pads. It's just throwing, you know, whatever, but you get a little bit of that competition going. I mean, if it was some controlled situation where you're not playing a full game, but there would be, you know, a few live periods of, you know, our offense versus your defense kind of thing. I think it'd be kind of fun. I think people would come, you know, especially if like you're in a place like USC, UCLA, every other year, one's at the Coliseum, one's at the Rose Bowl. And maybe it's not even like your spring game, but it's like a practice that you get to kind of work together. Um, 
I don't know. I th- I think something like that would be fun. And it's, you know, yeah, there's going to be that guy that blows out his knee and misses the season or something, which which sucks. But, I mean, that can happen in any practice, anywhere. Um, I, I think college football needs to do a better job of owning or taking more control of the offseason. Too much of the offseason stuff is just piled together. The NFL does it great. Uh, they they There's always something going on NFL-wise. It's free agency. It's combine, draft, whatever it is. And I feel like you could get a little bit more of that market in the spring if you had some competitive stuff like that. So I, I think it'd be kind of fun, but I agree with Dave. I don't, I don't think it's probably going to happen. No, no, it's yeah. it's hard to imagine. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've always thought that, that there could be a way uh, uh, programs themselves need to do a better job of um, pumping up the off-season aspects of the sport. I don't think that's an overarching thing. I think the programs, and this is where it, you run into it because there isn't an organizing body. Um, but yeah. the way the NFL approaches the NFL draft and how that becomes just this ongoing topic for months and months and months, and it's part of the national zeitgeist. College football recruiting is so much more interesting than that, and transfer portal is so much more interesting than that. But there isn't there isn't enough uh, transparency uh, that. Uh, it makes it um, you can follow it, but you have to subscribe to one of our sites to do it. Um, and even then, you're getting, you know, what we've heard from sources, what we can glean from talking to the recruits themselves, and all that kind of stuff. But you're not getting this like wall-to-wall coverage of it that I think would really serve the sport generally. Yeah. Um, now, would it be exploitative of the players and all that kind of stuff? Probably. Like, will there be some gross aspects of it? Probably. But there's 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 money to be squeezed there, which is why I'm kind of surprised it hasn't been done. Yeah. Um, and the programs themselves would benefit from it because more interest in your program is better for your program. Um, and I think turning all of the, the coaches into pure dictators where there's nobody overseeing them who has a, an ounce of power. Like, because anybody thinking athletic departments are actually ruling the roost for a lot of these football programs, they don't understand the game. Um, it's the, the football coach has dictator powers up until the point when he's lost enough games where the athletic department can uh, leverage boosters to buy him out. But until that point, the football coach is his own boss and they are secretive people and they don't want to um, do things that are for the best interest of their program. Um, And so anyway, long story short, it would be very cool if the NCAA or um, the programs themselves got behind the idea of, uh, you know, making all of this off-season stuff actually interesting because right now Ryan has to drum up interest in friggin' spring practices, which, um, and, but there's a lot of cool stuff. Like the transfer portal windows are cool. Like yeah. the fact there's going to be another one opening up in a week, like you could be making so much and two, four, seven's doing a decent enough job trying to cover it at the national desk and all that kind of stuff, but it should be part of the actual organization's job to promote this stuff. Yeah. The, the early signing period is a big, negative as far as that stuff goes because it's essentially like if the nfl did the draft in the week between the you know conference championship games and the super bowl you know like it's you're everyone's practicing for their bowl games and that's when the signing period is like that doesn't make any sense like it was good in february uh it spreads it out it's the the season's long over at least a month 
and you get to do the signing gate, you know, and, and now having it in December when there's also this transfer portal window, which is huge. Oh, and by the way, you're getting ready for bowl games. Like all that together is just dumb. So that's, you, you put too much in one little window and so you can spread it out more just by going back to the way it was. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. You want to read the, uh, yeah, it's just a short thing from Frank in Sacramento. Uh, Title IX discussion. You touched on this during your last podcast. What happens with Title IX when great athletes are college employees? It's not good for the non-revenue sports, as I noted in an earlier email, which was from August. Um, yeah. Do you want me to read the earlier email? I don't know. But, I mean, just in general, I, I think if you're going to separate out revenue sports and have them be – I think it just has to be completely separate. Like it can't be part of title nine, you know, like you're just like, Hey, we're paying these guys because they're making a lot of money. Yeah. Um, I think you just have to remove that from the equation. I, I don't know. I'm not an equity rights lawyer. I know that sometimes when you remove things, uh, it's the general thing with like any national program. If you, um, if you target it only to the ones who need it, then you remove the universality of the program, and then those it it uh, uh, it's the the rule at like the the national social level is uh, a a program for poor people becomes a poor program, um, and so a program for um, the 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 athletic teams that are poor well is it going to be effective because it doesn't have financials behind it? It doesn't have juice behind it. Yeah. Um, that's where I don't know. You, you almost need football. You need it to be incorporated. You need the whole part of it because if you're just kind of carve out the, essentially the two men's sports that matter, I mean, baseball doesn't matter, um, but like these two men's sports that matter, then what's the, you're not really getting at the the heart of this whole thing. Um, and you're just saying that the only thing that matters are dollars. Um, and I think, you know, we're going down that path and it's a, a little bit gross um, because there is like true amateur sports at the college level. Yeah. And there's this other thing going on. Uh, That's why I think you kind of need to like, I feel like if you're going to say, well, they're all going to be lumped together. I mean, I think there's a real risk that you start losing. The point is you don't want to lose sports that don't make money. But it's really hard to say, well, they're on the same level as this mega sport that makes tons of money. Um, and you're like, okay, well, then you're only get paid what your sport makes and you lose a lot of money. So they're not going to get paid or to drop the sport. Like, I, I don't want to, I want those sports to, whatever the best way to have those sports continue to thrive and have a great women's water polo team or volleyball team or all that stuff. But if you're going to like keep them the same standard as college football, which is just this you know, monster, I, I don't know what you can do. So I, just by like kind of removing the yeah, monster. I, I don't know if you still count the roster spots as like scholarships that need to balance. Like, cause I think uh, that's more my point is that I think you still need to balance those roster spots. Cause otherwise you're getting rid of a lot of women's scholarships. Um, if you just completely excise them from the calculations. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, you don't want that either. No. Cause I mean, like there've been a lot of like, um, I know like women's rowing at UCLA got really big because, okay, this is a way we can balance football. Yeah. Um, and it does give a lot of people opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise have. Um, so I don't know. It's for a much smarter person to figure out, but I don't think it's as simple as just, okay, pull it out and it's a whole different thing. I think you need to 
still balance the numbers um, to some extent. Uh, I just don't know what the complexion of that would look like and how it works with because I know there's something with you have to balance spending, and if there's spending from the athletic department to football, again, yeah, it just that can't be balanced. Ever. Well, it can't be balanced, and also if if you do make it balanced and they do cut sports, then that is obviously not the equitable solution because I think there's a lot of men's and women's athletes who say you're going to give me a scholarship to play golf. Awesome, I'm in. Yeah. Um, and then there's you know obviously. With basketball and football, it's a little bit more impacted. But there's also certain schools where women's basketball is a revenue-generating sport. Yeah. Or gymnastics is a revenue-generating sport. Or baseball is a revenue-generating right. sport. Or softball is a revenue-generating sport. And in those ones, well, the athletes might have a little bit more leverage. So maybe it does need to be more individually mandated. But when you rely on – there's there's a lot of complexity to it because when you rely on individuals to make good decisions for themselves – Especially when they're young, they have a tendency to get exploited. Um, so I don't know. There's a lot of tricky stuff to it. Yeah, we got. It's a tough little nut. It's a not not an easy nut to crack. Couple uh, YouTube comments. Howl with no Big Ten teams in the top twenty-five for baseball at the moment. Do you think USC and UCLA can dominate Big Ten baseball? USC has actually been pretty good. They hired a new coach, and they've been. Like kind of tearing through the Pac-12, I think. Have they been? Yeah, they've they've like won every series, I think. Unless That's... they like lost a couple recently, but uh, UCLA is seventeen and eight. Nice. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know shit about baseball. I did cover it at UCLA though for a little bit. There you go. When I was a student. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, yeah, I, I mean, there. I think. I would love to see, you know, the more I think with you know, David's talking about this, like maybe just football's in the Big Ten and the rest of the stuff you can play West Coast schools. Maybe they'll, that'll it'll get that way at some point that uh, Olympic sports, non-revenue generating sports kind of stay more regionally and they're not really as as tied into the conferences. I don't know. I'm not sure what the solution is. but UCLA yeah. was 17-3 and three, but then went on a five-game losing streak just now. Oh. Yeah. Do you see what USC is? I don't know. I didn't look, but I can. I like, can look, look at Pac-12 standings for baseball and see where they are. All right, Pac-12 baseball standings. But yeah, I think that's something that you know. There's probably some sports that the West Coast will probably dominate for USC and UCLA in the in the Big Ten. USC is 17 and 10 and one overall, but nine and three in conference. Yeah, so they've they've been really good once the conference stuff started. Uh, we got one last one from Hal is. Pendergast still on staff. So he's talking about Clancy Pendergast. He was like an analyst for UCLA. Is he still there? As far as I know, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's the other thing is uh, going back to the Danton Lynn thing. Um, he's not, he hasn't called plays, but you've got Ken Norton Jr. on staff. Uh, oh, cool. You've got Brian Norwood on staff. You've got Clancy Pendergast uh, still in the analyst role. So there's no, there's no deficit of guys who have called plays, who have some DC experience. So. Um, the experience is there to leverage. Um, I think a lot's going to come down to how how uh, how much savvy, how much acumen uh, Lynn has for designing a defense, creating game plans, all that kind of stuff. All right. Uh, well, we'll try next week maybe to get uh, updates from Colorado, Oregon, and uh, Utah that we didn't get to do uh, this week. But hope you guys enjoyed little tidbits from the different uh, Pac-12 programs. And that's going to do it for us. Uh, for David Woods, I am Ryan Abraham. Hope you guys enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. Goodbye.